0: All right, welcome to Hammer Factor, episode number ten: Descents and Diseases. You sure it's ten? I think it's nine. No, it's definitely ten. I messed up last time, and you weren't here last time. we speaking of that.
1: That makes it, it nine.
0: Hang on, let me do my intro. No, did, I, I did the show.
1: It I, did exist if I wasn't there.
0: <laughs> I pulled it together, and this I got is going to be
1: like this is going to be like the Who tour without Roger Daltrey. You cannot <laughs> call it the Who. <laughs> Unless you have Roger Daltrey.
0: Hey, you missed a <laughs> you missed a good interview with Annie Aniel all. All Sarac. I know. Do you know anything about I this know. guy?
1: I do. How, how could I not know about him?
0: So I mean, he's. So here's one yeah. thing you didn't know is he had a totally yeah. broken. It was the bone had healed, but he had like torn ligaments in the whole nine yards while yeah. he was doing all that stuff on the Steen and winning the sick line and the whole nine yards. Some great stories, you know. He. Through one of the cruxest, meatiest parts of the Stikine, after he took a swim, he he filled his dry bag up with air, uh, held on tight, and jumped in the river. And just to hear him tell the stories of dropping down into the seams and just going under and and having to really relax and conserve air until he came back to the surface and doing this over and over for a couple kilometers until he finally had a place where he could get out, and then he found his boat with Benny. I mean... (laughs) That was
1: nuts. He's an adventurer. <laughs> he is an adventurer, you know. But he, All just- right, so let's talk about let's 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 segue this into the Whitewater Grand Prix, okay? Um, because we're talking about top-notch paddlers. The Whitewater Grand Prix was an event that somehow collected people together. So. You have to me some background on this. It was it's a Canadian event, right? I mean, I think it was originally a Canadian event. I know they had one down south in Chile or something one year. Yeah, well, originally um, the
0: idea of the Whitewater Grand Prix was to collect the world's best paddlers, travel around to various destinations, and put on competitions, freestyle competitions, races, um, like that, and and really make it a I don't know if I want to say like a a, a a rampage kind of event, but Really showcase the sport, I guess, would be uh, – and,
1: and I thought it was a great event. Uh, I, but yeah. here's the thing, right? It was, it was put together by, as far as I can tell, Tribe Rider. It was put together by that Pat, was, Pat Camlin. Okay. That's what I need to get to the bottom of. And yeah. what's Tribe Rider? I mean I see the things around, you know, the, the hoodies and whatnot. I believe originally
0: it was meant to be a whitewater clothing company. Right. So you know how challenging that can be. I you know I do. I guess let me let me sum it up and you can you can uh tell me if you agree or disagree with my opinion. I think it was yes. a great a great event. I think that right. uh the guys who put it on did a as good a job as they could on a shoestring budget. I think it's super admirable that they wanted to travel to these various locations and do this event and I thought it was I thought it was an incredible event. Right. But as someone who's been around Whitewater, been in the industry for a long period of time, it is 100 percent unsustainable. And That's right. just because, <laughs> just because there's just not it's, enough money for it, you know, all those plane tickets, yeah. not only is it That's unsustainable right. for to get sponsorship to put the event on, to have your crew, to have your cameras, to, to, to even give a meager day wage to everybody. It's hard for the athletes who are coming to afford the plane tickets unless they're independently wealthy. They they can't call IR and say, "Hey, I need $2,000 to go down to this competition." You know, Oh, they could call. <laughs> you know, so 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 really what it comes down to, great idea, executed. I know I talked to uh Pat and he he had he put some money on his credit card and and really gave right. it his all i you know I was a, and he
1: put four I, he put four or five of these things on or four of them that I could think of right two thousand eleven two thousand twelve I think three that.
0: I think there was three of them um, okay but you know i I just don't think it's a realistic thing unless you had someone and and I don't even think a corporate backer is what you'd need to make something like this happen
1: you would need well okay. Well, the thing is 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 you and I both know that these things aren't possible in paddle sports because the market isn't big enough. I mean this is a kind of event that if it was snowboarding or if it was surfing or skiing, it would it would work or it could work. Well, you know like, what I mean? The money's there. It already does you know, work they could get in those events. Yeah. I but mean, Whitewater – yeah, I always tell people Whitewater is like – it's like super string theory. The physics gets so small, nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> it just is not – nothing adds up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, an event like this is, is an expensive event to put on. It takes a lot of hard work and a lot of, a lot of passion on top of the money, you um, know?
0: Yeah, and a, and a ton of
1: time, both before and after, you know? Just I the, mean, the only person who's going to pick up this tab is going to be Teva. And Teva already, I think, has invested all they want into paddle sports.
0: Yeah, they're not even into performance sports anymore. They're a fashion brand. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> you know. Wait, well, you and I put on an event many years ago called the Vacation of Hell, which was a great, a great event. And honestly, relatively speaking, not that, not that expensive. And to refresh everyone's memory, I, I know most people have heard of this and are intimately familiar with it, but for the two or three of you out there who don't, <laughs> the Vacation of Hell was an event that we put on where we would, uh, in secret, decide a kayak expedition that needed, needed to be done. That we felt was important for the sport, and then we would uh, uh, solicit uh, video sponsorships from people, from teams of, of four kayakers, right? Uh, and they wouldn't know where they're going. They're just saying, making claims about the quality of their team to do anything, and then the winner, we'd announce the winner and tell them where they're going at the same time, and yes. we'd make a movie out of it. And we did two of these before we all ran out of money. The,
0: the, and and the big hit, you know, what made the vacation to hell? There there are several expeditionary grants out there, but what made this one special is people submitted their applications to go on this expedition, but they didn't know where it was at. I think right. that's that's an important thing to stress about the vacation to hell, the IR vacation uh, to hell.
1: It was a great, it was a great, it was a great. It, I thought it was a great, really neat idea. <laughs> we we asked everybody for money, Thule, Subaru, Yakima. I don't know if we hit up Red Bull or not, but if they had any kind of cash, uh, we asked them, and it was a resounding no across the board. It no was one wanted a to
0: struggle. This. And even, you know, going down and getting the plane tickets for the, for the expedition that went up to Devon islands, there were, there were $30,000 worth of plane tickets negotiated to get those guys up there. Yeah. You know, just like it's, it's uncanny. The, uh, the work that we it's it, a lot of people have never planned an expedition or really went through the effort but to lay that groundwork i wish there was a way to you know maybe there's something maybe we should bring it back just on a on a credit basis we got this expedition if you can figure out a way to pull it off yourself we'll give you cash at the end of
1: it uh who's who's cash
0: <laughs> yours right I'll, I'll, maybe, well it's gonna have to be the amongst it vacation to hell
1: <laughs> well you sold lgm you socked away you socked away a few million from that right
0: i'm essentially retired at this point that's why i'm getting ready to go to the grand canyon
1: <laughs> well good for you <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh, well anyway whitewater grand prix is no more that's that's what we're talking about it is gone it's done and it went the way of many other quality whitewater events um yeah and, and it, i don't know what the answer is
0: well you know and, and, and it's pending you know there could be a whitewater grand prix come back there could be some people who rally up there but
1: yeah you know well, I, I have a formula for success right and i think it's what those guys in the north fork of the pad are doing right what you do is you make a manageable event and you run it in a shoestring for about 20 years. <laughs> at the end of 20 years, you will proven yourself uh, as, as like credit worthy for yeah. a bigger sponsor. Yeah. A bigger a- sponsor will come and take, take care of it. because by then you will build like a legacy. But it's going to take 20 years, two decades.
0: It took the green race 21 years.
1: <laughs> right. I think that's right. That's, that's the length
0: of time. no, I hear you. It's a struggle. Awesome event. You know, it's, I think there's a, you know, there could be some effort to continue it, but I did see the the post that it's no more. And I think that's worthy of mentioning here on the hammer factor. So yeah. All right. (sighs) Moving on, moving on now, (sighs) let's look on Skype here and see if our man Lewis has chimed in and he has not, but moving on. So we're going to have to make this work on this conservation piece here. Um, so just passed in Congress, um, with a unanimous and bipartisan vote, the Outdoor Recreation Jobs and Economic Impact Act, um, what it says is now outdoor recreation jobs, um, the whole economy of outdoor recreation is going to be added to the gross domestic product. Um, you're part of the outdoor industry, John, what do you think of that?
1: I think it's good. No, I think, uh, no, I think it's great. I think it's great. I mean, I, I mean, but you look at places like, I mean, shoot everywhere. I, I mean, Utah, this came, this, this was brought to my attention because of Utah and the actual retail show and the amount of money they've been pouring into keeping that show in Utah. And, um, obviously they have, you know, politically Utah's a very uh, Republican state, but they are pushing hard to keep that event there. Um, and so, for me, it was the first. It was a first indication that states, you know, were taking outdoor recreation as a serious industry because you know Utah spends millions upon millions of dollars in incentives to keep that show there. Oh,
2: yeah. um,
1: but I mean, you, you know, you talk about what's, you know, what's what jobs are bolstering the U.S. economy and the service industry and recreation are are I mean, the two big ones, you know.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, I mean, B- big time. I mean, here in Asheville, we see it. Um, you know, it's it's very front and center. You know, people, you know, and I I talk about the Green Race a lot, but you know, in a, this Green Race, we had you know just a small whitewater kayaking event, or I guess it's a big whitewater kayaking event, but it's just a whitewater kayaking event. We had ten countries represented this year, 175 racers, people coming in from uh, racers um, that came in from 22 different states. If you're a small town like Saluda, that's a big impact. And yeah. I think you know, and that's just that event. I think you know, like some states, like Colorado, it's a cornerstone of their economy. You know, to for it to not, no doubt. for it to not be um, counted and to not be um, incentivized. You know, I think it's just a really good thing that has happened. Have you heard of Ain't Louis Fest? I know. Who Ain't Louis Fest? <laughs>
1: So the Whitewater Grand Prix is gone, but Ain't Louis Fest is going strong, i <laughs> it, is,
0: it is thriving, dude. It is thriving. It happens every April. Right. I can't believe you've never seen Ain't Louis Fest, dude. It's literally like it's over like a... 100 canoers that all yeah. get together, and yeah. they kayak all over the southeast. People come from Canada, all over the country, yeah. and – you know, Maybe man, they could run the
1: Whitewater Grand Prix. They, <laughs> they could take it over. <laughs> <laughs> they meet
0: They meet at Shoney's, and they split up into groups, and they go off and run everything, and they have a big race on the Teleco that has, like, over 100 canoers.
1: Is you have to canoe. Is that, is that it?
0: Oh, yeah. Don't show up in a kayak, dude. No butt boaters. If you show up there in a kayak, dude, you'll get – it's like, you know.
1: <laughs> it's like Pee Wee Herman of the Biker Bar. Yeah. <laughs> It's exactly like
0: PBR. <laughs> 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 right. uh, that was, that's good you came up with that because i had an analogy that i couldn't say on the air right but anyway it's blowing up so hmm. moving forward we're going to get on to our celebrity guest john you better start from uh start over from the beginning this this yeah. episode we're talking about uh diseases and whitewater diseases yeah. and hence our call with tyler legendary kayaker
1: yeah
0: which, and uh Tell me what you know about Tyler's infliction while I get him on the line here.
1: Yeah, well, Tyler was on the uh, sort of worldwide tour on this uh, boat, you know, the wizard's eye. And somewhere in his travels, and Tyler can tell us more about this, he contracted uh, leishmaniasis, which uh, is something you get uh, from a sand fly. Um, It's a bite-eating sand fly. In some cases, it turns into what's sort of the equivalent of a flesh-eating bacteria. I mean, it's... It's really awful if it gets bad. And it looks like, I mean, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Tyler, but he got bit in his lips, or his lip, and it looks bad. Um, and I think in some cases, they treat this with uh, radiation. Um, but I'm sure Tyler can tell us more about it. I mean, I want to hear where he thinks this happened, how long it took to show symptoms. Is this something that travels air? like what's what's the whole story yeah i'm super
0: interested too there's a picture that tyler are you there yeah man i'm
3: here i'm trying to get the the uh, video going let's see here i think this will work sorry guys a little slow this morning (laughs) (laughs) you look a
1: hell of a lot better dude yeah, dude. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, Totally. I know it is. It is really getting better this morning. Actually, for the first time, I woke up and I was like, "Man, this is like significantly improved." It's like only time I've been able to like, yeah, totally like tell improvement. But yeah, you can like sort of oh, see oh a little. Bit there still. Oh my god! Hang on, yeah, t- still <laughs> in there, but not
1: <laughs> not nearly as bad as it used to be. So
3: yeah, I'm I'm
1: stoked. I mean, you're like you're the guy you would go to like Target and kids would run screaming. I mean, <laughs> exactly. all, they all
3: <laughs> like crossed the road to walk by me, man. It was it was so bad there for a while. I you know, for a while I just didn't know what it was. I was like super self conscious about it, you know. It was like and now that I find out that it's like a parasite, it's not just like a terrible case of herpes or something, you know, <laughs> like,
1: just bad hygiene. Like, brush <laughs> your, your teeth, teeth man. man. <laughs> for something, I'm like, just bad. <laughs> so hold on, back up for a second. back up. So, hang on
0: were, before we traveling... get. Hang on, for right. a second. All Let right. me introduce Tyler to our viewers who all don't right. know. Him. I'm sorry. Um, Tyler Bratt is a um, world no famous. Needs no introduction. World um, record holder for the highest waterfall, Palouse Falls. Um, been on many, many high-profile expeditions. Been kayaking since. When did you start kayaking, Tyler?
3: Yeah, since I was six years old. Since so, six yeah, years quite, old. quite a while.
0: Um, yeah. Just coming off of a, seven wiz- years. Wi- wi- <laughs> a wizard's yes. eye trip um, traveling <laughs> around the world. And uh, And Tyler, you are... How's it going? First of all, you know, before we get, we were just blown away yeah. by this picture coming up on Skype. <laughs>
3: That's about, yeah, I, man, it's, it's going, it's going great, man. Yeah. stoked stoked to be here on the hammer factor with you boys. This is uh yeah, this is pretty cool, man. So, yeah, I mean, I would rather be, you know, out, out paddling or, or back at the boat. I'm supposed to be in Columbia right now, but, um, this has uh this has kind of popped up so i'm just hanging out here at mom's house you know just chilling my <laughs> chilling at mom's you know getting better so yeah but hopefully about you know on on the mend i yeah i picked up a, a bad case of this this stuff called leishmaniasis in Colombia. it's a uh, it's a it's a parasite transmitted through sand flies and so um it, i've got the mucosal form which means it attacks my you know my lips my mucous membranes and it, it um yeah, it just got it got super gnarly, and uh, and the treatment is is pretty gnarly too. It's like this sort of chemotherapy stuff that they put you on. So I'm eleven out of twenty treatments into finishing this thing up, and then and then hopefully I'll get back be back in my boat, man. I'm getting a little stir crazy here.
1: <laughs> so when did when do you remember like do you remember a time when you got these things are small like you could, a lot of times you will not even know you got bit by this thing right the this, the this sandfly.
3: Yeah, I mean they're they're small, but they pack a punch. You Usually, know when you're getting bit by them. But um, so so we were doing this uh, this crazy descent of the of the Calcutta River in southwestern Colombia. Uh, Jules, Dominique, and I were trying to get through about a thousand kilometer section of this river, and it starts high high in the mountains, and then um, and then heads out into the Amazon Basin. And our goal was to access this big um, big water canyon. That really nobody had had seen before, you know, way down there on the Amazon. And so we, you know, we thought this trip was gonna take us like, you know, eight or ten days. It ended up taking us like twenty days. I mean, it was it was the river was flooded. We were spending days and days portaging through the jungle and then traversing seven hundred and eighty kilometers of this flat water and 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 then, you know, and and in the meantime, I mean, dude. It's like it's like spring break in Cancun for the sandflies down there man. I mean they are just <laughs> going crazy dude. They I mean, it is it's, it's like a little
1: senior frog full of sandflies. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so we we were you know both probably bit thousands of times by sandflies down there. I mean it's uh you know it's just one of those things you you deal with, you know. It's just one of the one of the one of the parts of the jungle that you just have to kind of embrace and, and get through it, and you cover up as much as you can. But um, nevertheless, I mean, we were bit a bunch of times. You know, I this so so the leishmaniasis is um, is transmitted through mammals. So it you know a, it, you know it can be human. You know, sample can bite a human with leishmaniasis. You know, and 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 get you get the parasite that way, and then spread it. Um, it also happens a lot through um dogs and so and so i think that i probably picked this up in one of the indigenous villages that that we were um you, you know, to you know that vector
1: this thing right?
3: yeah exactly exactly so yeah so i i think that um you know it was probably in one of these in one of these villages i, I got this thing on my mouth i also have cutaneous leishmaniasis i've got like this like big like leishmaniasis spot on my uh, right butt cheek as well actually which is kind of God. interesting so you, you got a picture of that like, yeah. <laughs> and, and i don't know man. i you know i think i picked it up actually we were at this village The we were trying to hitch a ride in this like motorized canoe, the motor broke down we ended up in this village
1: and nobody and, had lips the whole village was lipless <laughs> and,
3: and, and <laughs> so, so, I, so we're hanging out there and um, dude you know I was sort of sick and, and I really had to take a crap so I ran in the bushes you know in the woods and, I, and I'm there with my pants around my ankles and I got totally attacked by these sand flies and I think that's maybe where it, where it picked up just because you know this one spots on my right butt cheek so I don't know man that's like my best guess <laughs> but, so
1: yeah. one, but but if I if you just get if you get uh if you get it in, like, in your butt, it it could go to the to the mucous membranes as well. It's not like two separate infections, right?
3: It, exactly. What what happens is the parasite um, goes in, gets inside your white blood cells, actually multiplies inside your white blood cells, yeah. And then, depending on on the parasite as well as as the host, how how your immune system is, it will migrate to wherever it ends up, and so. It's really weird that the the mucosal leishmaniasis apparently usually affects people that are immunocompromised, um, meaning that their their immune systems are very compromised. And so, one of the first things they did when they saw it, they diagnosed it. I mean, they they did like you know three HIV tests on me, you know, just to like. Oh see God! What I was bet going. you're
0: freaking out when that's all going on. Yeah, they're
3: like, dude, how did you end up with this? It's so. <laughs> So, um, uh, but the only thing I can think of is, you know, I mean, this trip was just so gnarly and towards the end of it, I was, you know, I had a, a fever for like the last four days, you know, I was like really struggling. We sort of ran low on food. And, um, and so, I mean, I was, I was battling, my body was battling. And so I think that I was, you know, I had compromised my own immune system enough just through the course of this expedition that it, kind of, you know, gave, gave a doorway to this leishmaniasis to, to become mucosal. And, um,
1: so when did you, when did you first start seeing symptoms of this? Like how, how much longer after the, it,
3: it was two months. It was a full two months after the, after the expedition that I started seeing it. And so it's, it's anywhere from two months to 24 months, you can develop symptoms of, of leishmaniasis after you're, after you're infected. And so, um, yeah, it's so weird, you know, it's like such a bizarre thing. I never had even heard of it before being infected by it and yeah. apparently yeah. it's not as uncommon as you might think. I guess there's about a million cases of this a year. I think the mucosal form is one of the rarest forms of it, but um yeah, I mean it it affects a lot of people. It's over in Europe and the Middle East as well as, you know, Central America and um northern South America. So,
1: yeah, it's it's out there. So- so you get this, what like what are the first symptoms that you have that you start to feel like something's not quite right? Uh well,
3: I guess the first symptoms that I had was I had like I, I went paddling one day and uh and and it um got kind of sunburned and so um and then these like blisters started appearing on my lips and I didn't know what it was. I was like, Oh, these are just like bad like sun blisters maybe, couldn't figure it out. Like they kept getting worse. They turned into like these like little open sores, and and I went to the uh, I went to just to like the local doctor, and he was like. He was like, oh, dude, it looks like you got a bad case of, like, herpes simplex virus and he put, <laughs> me, on, uh, he put me on antivirals <sighs> for, like, 15 days. And so, like, for, you know, for, like, two weeks, I was just like, oh, man, this is this is gnarly, dude. I just got, like, cord- cold sores from hell right now, you know? I mean, yeah. I've never had them before, was- so I didn't really know what, you know, what they were like. And then
1: I saw another doctor
3: He's like, oh, yeah, it looks like Are cold sores. inside sources. of your
1: mouth or just? are they just inside your mouth or on your lips or like
3: on my lips? Yeah. Like, like on my lips and like the visible part of your lip, there, not really on the inside, more on the outside. Um, and so, you know, I ended up seeing like, like, like three doctors, um, and just like going on this array of antibiotics and antivirals. And then finally it was just getting so gnarly that I was just like, dude, I need to, I need a proper opinion. And I went to the um, emergency room uh, up here in Missoula, Montana, and uh, and the infectious disease doc came and saw me, and I am so lucky that this guy was the one dude that came in and saw me, because he's, like, the only guy in all of Montana that's ever even seen lishmaniasis before, and with, within, like, 10 minutes of talking to me, he had it, like, diagnosed, and um and the next day, I they cut out pieces of my lip to send to the um, Center of Disease Control over in Atlanta to... Um, you know, get it diagnosed. But if he hadn't diagnosed it and sent these samples to the CDC specifically to look for leishmaniasis, I mean, they would still be trying to grow a culture of this thing somewhere, dude. And my, and my face would be, you know, my, my, my upper lip would probably be gone right now. It was about 70, it was covering about 75% of my upper lip, um, you know, by the time they diagnosed it. And, uh, you know, it was just so swollen. My lip was like sticking out past my nose, dude. It was, it was, dude, I kidding. saw, I
0: saw some pictures. So, what would have happened if you wouldn't have got treatment? Like, where does it end? It could be fatal, I mean,
1: right? It could kill yeah, you.
3: Yeah. It'll eventually, it'll eventually kill you. The mucosal stuff, um, generally, it, it'll, it'll literally eat away your, your lips and your nose and sort of leave this like big hole in your face. And the way that it generally kills people, if it doesn't go to a visceral state, state, which means that it starts attacking your organs, it it generally just kills people through malnourishment, actually, you know, just because it gets so difficult to eat anything, you know, and you just sort of just waste away. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's gnarly, man. I mean, you know, we're so lucky, you know, because we have access to, you know, some, some amazing doctors and some great medicine, you know, I mean, my heart goes out to all of those locals, you know, that are chilling there on the banks of the Amazon right now, you know, without a means to, to treat it. And it does affect, um, you know, more, um, you know, like, like poor, poor people, the people that, you know, maybe have immune systems that are already compromised and don't have access to medicine. And so, you know, in that sense, it's it's really gnarly. I mean, dude, I'm I'm lucky. I'm laughing. You know, I mean, it's like you know, the the treatment sucks, and it sucks to you know be here at home when I'd rather be paddling. But you know, I'm gonna get through it, no problem. There's you know millions of people out there that it's just you know going untreated, and it's just a runaway train. So well, man, was, there, was
1: there a time? Were you was there a time where you're like you're gonna lose a piece of your face or a piece of your lips, or were you is that ever a concern?
3: yeah um for for sure i mean the um you know and and there it, 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 you know it was getting to the point where there was going to be some disfiguration and and still they think that there'll probably be a little bit of disfiguration but i mean i don't i don't really care what i look like i just want to you know get this thing get this thing sorted and uh you know and, and get back to doing the stuff that i love to do so um yeah so it'll be it'll be interesting but yeah it shouldn't be bad yeah lewis or who is that <laughs> That Yeah, Brad, Luke, yeah what's up, buddy? Yeah. Our Didn't policy be council,
1: never, decided to join us. <laughs> <laughs> did. <Dude>, so <also, laughs> Lewis, take I'll a
0: look. i take, at where I'll are you, take
2: some shit from Grace, but none from you <laughs> for not showing up on time.
0: World, dude, <laughs> dude, take a look. Take a look at Tyler, dude. How much better? Does talking he about look? so much better, dude. <laughs> 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 oh my God! So. Ah, oh, so what now? So you have
1: you, something, It looks like you have something in your lip, like some beacon or something. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. It's,
3: yeah, it, in the mornings, it's particularly bad. I mean, I, I, I've i got this pick line, and I don't know if you can see that. So that's like <laughs> where they do the do do the infusions, and um, and I have to put this, like, blood thinner in there
1: at night to for keep people, this pick line open. It, it, Tyler's it, showing us, like, a needle going into, like, an IV needle sticking in his arm.
3: Yeah, basically, what it is is it, it goes in. It's a pig line, so it actually runs all the way through to like just above your heart, which is crazy. It's this super long thing they stick in, just so that they they can leave it there for weeks, you know. And so, um, and so, anyway, yeah, I have, I have to put like this is blood thinner in, and then like right before I go to bed, and then like I, you know, it makes me my lip bleed so much, so I wake up like my mustache, which I've been growing to try to hide this thing. <laughs> There's like flood down both sides of my cheeks. My pillow's covered. I'm like, oh, it's it a little darling at night. But yeah, man,
0: it's all good. Man, you look so yeah, much better than you it's did. It's awful. But I mean, you got to admit, he looks a million times better than that picture yeah, we were passing around. No I was, doubt. Like,
1: I, I was nervous. Todd was going to come on. I was just going to be like, this would be like a really awkward silence. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to hold my eyes
0: the whole show.
3: well it could be very different man if i didn't get diagnosed so i'm lucky i mean my 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 main piece of advice to people that are like out there like paddling in these weird places that we get to um is if you come back and something's going on you know like don't don't go to the family doctor like go and find like an infectious disease doctor because that's that's the one thing that saved me i mean no no local doctor was going to be able to diagnose this you know and so it's, it's better just to like try to use the resources you have available to you. Like, go get go, go to an infectious disease doctor somewhere where they kind of know what's going on and, um, and, and see what's happening. I mean, you know, I've, I've come back to the States plenty of times with weird stuff, malaria, leishmaniasis. You know, I mean, you know, ben, Benny Marr had that gnarly thing going on, you know, um, it, he, that he picked up in Columbia. I mean, you know, I mean, there's so many instances of paddlers coming back with. These sort of weird things that doctors can't diagnose it, and um, and you and know, require and it, and it just,
0: treatment. You know, they, they require special yep. treatment. You
1: can't just take around a, a Z pack, especially it, it's, you know? it's twenty four yeah. months after you've been back, and the last thing in your mind is a trip to Columbia.
3: No. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <sighs> exactly. So I mean, it's it's just I mean, it's sort of opened my eyes to to the stuff that's out there, you know. And I mean, I wouldn't, you know, don't don't let it, um, you know dissuade you from going on these these you know sweet trips and expeditions but just um you know just like keep keep it in mind that you might be able to pick something weird up like some crazy protozoa that floats around in your white blood cells and attacks your lips and just yeah don't don't be afraid to go and like get, you know proper proper uh, proper treatment i mean go, go to a doctor to get a, to get a real diagnosis i guess is my advice
1: so here's my takeaway my takeaway is that while Google Earth has pretty much watered down what it means to be an adventurer in the 21st century. Diseases are still real. That's what yeah. I'm hearing. That's another show, by the way.
3: <laughs> More so than ever, actually, because, you know, as deforestation, dams getting built, stuff like that, I mean, it decreases the biodiversity in these areas and allows these, um, and, and allows these, you know, organisms that are transmitting these things breeding grounds. And so, you know, we're seeing like, you know, rises in, in sand fly populations, mosquitoes, you know, all, all over the world. And so, I mean, I mean, I guess now more than ever, you know, so, some of these, some of these diseases are really, you know, really, really prevalent. So yeah, just keep them in we stand
1: mind. Where do you stand on
3: D? Dude, Deet is, man, you know, do whatever it takes to, 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 yeah, for sure, man. I mean, (laughs) obviously, your your first line of defense is like covering up, you know, just like wear, you know, wear leggings, wear long sleeves, you know, Um, you know, do, you know, do what you can to cover most of your body. But those parts of your body that are inevitably exposed, man, yeah, dude, Deet. DEET works better than, um, you know, than, than most anything else. Um, I mean, yeah, w- w- whatever it takes. I mean, the other place this could have come from was Brazil. I mean, we were getting eaten by, you know, on an overnighter in Brazil once, and we didn't have any DEET, dude. And I was just, I just covered myself in mud, dude, and that tended to work all right as well. So <laughs> whatever works. worked. Uh, <laughs> dude, we were in
2: Brazil
0: one time on, the, on an overnighter, and, God, we came out of the woods so eaten up, and it was so wretched. I mean, I had like I had over a hundred ticks on my waist and everything when I took my spray skirt off. I mean, I don't know how I didn't end up with some kind of funk, but God, that's a <laughs> so, savage
1: story. To oh, wow. you were in uh, you were in New Guinea, weren't you, Tyler? Were you
3: yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, i was out there as well man yeah for sure that's, that's um,
1: the hot spot right there in new guinea there's a lot of lot of fun stuff going on there a lot of fun <laughs> stuff
3: going on there i mean and it's just you know there's just like a, you know a million mysteries of the jungle you know and it's sort of the reason that that you go to those places because there is so much out there that, that you just don't know about that nobody knows about you know i mean the, these places are magical and amazing and Difficult to exist in, but, you know, beautiful and incredible. And some of the places that kayaking takes us, you know, I mean, that's, you know, one of the reasons that makes our sport just so, you know, mind-blowing is that it's this, you know, semi-effortless way to travel through just the most rugged, impenetrable wildernesses in the world. And so and so we're lucky because we do get to see these wild, pristine, pristine places, but we're also coming in contact with things, especially... You know, you know, especially, you know, me, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm like some, you know, dude from Scandinavian blood from Montana, you know, I mean, dude, my, you know, I, you know, my, you know, I I probably have, you know, not been exposed, you know, to the jungles for, you know, like, you know, millions of years, you know, evolutionarily, you know, and so it's like, dude, I feel like you're a little bit more susceptible to that sort of stuff, you know, your body's not ready for it. So
1: I remember I remember hiking through uh the rainforest in indonesia with a with a bunch of locals and they were like tribal locals you know like loin cloth and all that and we had a translator but i asked one of the guys i was like man i was like you guys are really good shape you know everyone here looks so healthy you know and i was thinking oh it's because they eat like, like fish and all this natural foods and stuff And i was like no it's because basically when anyone gets sick they just die here <laughs> and that was it <laughs> You know, it, I just it, remember thinking the jungle's here to kill you. It's just it's it's gonna. It's, gonna, it's so <laughs> savage in the jungle, dude. Eat you alive. That's just it's me so cold.
3: savage. <laughs> and humans are so soft, right? I mean, it's like we don't have a yeah. lot going for us other than you know our our ability to like you know our cognitive skills to be able to you know prepare for it and or think our way out of it. You know, but when it comes down to it, man, like people, you know, we got this like soft, exposed skin all over our bodies. You know, I mean, we're just like so susceptible to you know everything out there so it's yeah it's true man the, the jungle will literally eat you alive man you got to be yeah you got you got to prepare for it then you got to be ready for something to happen you know when you when you do get out of there but yeah again man the locals
1: I feel like you're
3: on to this stuff
1: you're on borrowed time you know
3: <clears throat> true man yeah what
1: um so is, is Hesh gonna, is hash going to come on board or should we you know tyler has a little bit of waterfall running experience have, Tyler know. this is perfect. Yeah cuz I got a I, I got a message from Hash it
0: says my computer is too old to update to the new software. <laughs> so classic
1: <Black>. I, <laughs> I, I think Hash is out on this one. So Tell let's Like a microwave right now. He's like hitting it with his fist. (laughs) (laughs) Then you know he's sitting there just like.
3: (laughs) He's been up for like five hours too, you know? So he just like got around in the last two minutes to figuring it out, man. Classic.
0: (laughs) Well, well, I'm going to change. We're going to do it. We're going to change topics here. That's an incredible story, Tyler. Thanks for sharing that with us. Holy moly. I'm glad that you are on the up and up, man
3: yeah man just keep your eyes out there everybody you know and be prepared for for something weird to happen when you come back from these places that's that's my only advice you know just keep it in mind
0: that's good advice dude i can't and you i'm gonna say it one last time you look so much better than that last picture man yeah dude <laughs> <laughs> <I'm stoked>. so <laughs> tyler I we, here on the show we do viewer mail so people will send us comments concerns questions they'll point out articles and various things and uh we try to answer one or two of them and we got some viewer mail um requesting that we break down waterfall running technique uh, specifically on waterfalls over 30 feet
3: oh man lewis bro hit it up bud (laughs) 30 feet's too high for me man i'm it's like 33 bro you got this <laughs>
2: around it not not one hour ago
3: <laughs> the last time i paddled with lewis dude we showed up at big brother it was roosting man and he and i just both like immediately carried around the thing <laughs> it was like, this is great <laughs> partner in crime man <laughs> like, no, dude, no. <laughs> <laughs> um so dude, waterfall running over 30 feet man i mean it you know it really depends on the waterfall i would say um you know you you look at a waterfall like like spirit 30 feet you know people aren't really going for going for the true plug off spirit very often hardly at all you know so i would say that your gray area you know in like you know, where, where to like, try to, you know, like, you know, come in a little bit 45 and and try to get out away from the base of the waterfall, you know, is sort of, you you have a little bit of wiggle room in there, you know, like 20 to, you know, like say 35, maybe, maybe 40 feet, just really depending on the waterfall. I would say that the thing that you need to keep in mind with running waterfalls is that every single waterfall is different and every, every, and that's, and that's the beauty of what we do. You know, you can't really just be like, all right, how how do you you know you you run how do you run like a 35-foot waterfall cuz every single one of them is going to be different. But um I would say, you know, as, I mean, as as start getting up there, the the viewer probably wants to know, you know, like wh- how what's the technique for running, you know, like a, a big waterfall that you do not want to boof. And I would say you're, you the, the main thing that you want to figure out as as you're, you know, as you're like learning to do it and definitely start on smaller waterfalls, but just Make sure your bow doesn't come up, you know, don't be like taking that, you know, that instinctive <laughs> stroke off the lip to boof it, you know, I mean, dude, I will, you know, I have learned every single lesson in life the hard way, because that's how I learned. And, um, yeah, <laughs> you just
0: do not want to, you want to Look, looking at there. this picture of you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in full agreement. <laughs> And, and so
3: and so yeah, man. So, so so generally what you wanna do, you know, is 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 have have your body in, in a in a fairly, you know, like upright position. May, maybe just you know slight slightly forward, come up to the lift, let let your bow drop. You can sort of set your angle with your paddle as you're going into free fall. So as you're coming off the lift, there's sort of this one fluid motion, your one point in time to really control the angle of your boat is at the lip of the falls and so i sort of you know will will let my boat fall down to the to, to the angle that i wanted at you know take a little bit of a stroke to set it there and then try to you know get forward um you know make sure that you're that you're tucked your paddle is you know away from your body off to the side you know it's um there's, there's a lot of just like finesse in that feeling of going over the lip. And so what I would say is that as you start running waterfalls, just get really used to that feeling and and spend a lot of time on, on some smaller waterfalls and, and just really get used to how your boat is reacting at the lip of the waterfall, because it's more of, it's more of a feeling thing, you know, it's like, you, you can explain it all, all you want. But I mean, I think that a lot of the people running big waterfalls will, will tell you that, there's just a lot of just like finesse in that feeling of of going in, into freefall that um, you know w- allows you to run these waterfalls consistently, and that only happens through practice. So my 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 best advice
1: is just don't boof it. <laughs> you know that's, just, <laughs> like, that's good advice. Yeah. Sometimes I'll tell. See, but paddling out east, you you know, you paddle out east. So it's like you go up to the lip, and it's like it's in your cells now to go up for the lip and pull yourself off. I don't know <laughs> oh, that I could stop that. Sure
3: yeah totally man and so yeah. and so it's yeah exactly man and out east you have to i mean i don't know are are there any waterfalls you can plug out there or is there um oh yeah well, you have to pretty much boop everything there's several <laughs> <kidding>. there's several <laughs> down here that are good. Yeah.
0: but one I thing that i'll water. that i will add is that i think it's real good to spot your landing when i was yeah. first getting into running waterfalls i when i've finally realized I needed to like come over the transition and look where I was going to land it made things connect a little bit better I guess I don't know
1: yeah totally so you man throw That's... the paddle throw the paddle or not throw the paddle is there like a stylistic problem with throwing a paddle
3: I mean dude you know th- 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 throwing the paddle is cool it works I've been doing it you know I'm I'm a little bit more old school I like to I like to keep a hold of my paddle but I mean it just again <laughs> depends on on the waterfall dude you know if, if 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 you've got something to deal with after you land then dude you want to hold on to your paddle man um if if you're you know if it's something like like Metlaco or something you know where you're just getting flushed into you know a nice big pool and, and you don't want to spend another $300 on a paddle, you know, then then chuck that thing away, dude. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just totally it's, it's very, very drop dependent. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, the throwing the paddle technique is is awesome. It, it feels good. And it's one last thing that you that you, um, you know, have to deal with on landing, you know, one, one last thing to break one last thing to break you, you know,
2: Tyler, have you gotten on the uh, Washington
3: talk regime yet?
2: Oh, where where
3: you uh, where, where you? What is it? You keep a hold of just one hand or something? It's like the it's the like, it's like you tuck move and, your then you, and then you bring it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally.
0: It's really hard. I'm to more do of an
3: organ Tucker, dude. I'm more of an organ Tucker, but yeah, dude. I I haven't done the Washington tuck. I've word, never done man? the
0: Washington yeah. tuck either. I'm really interested.
2: <laughs> so I like the genesis of this is actually I think uh, Todd Gilman had this idea actually. Um, and the idea is basically like to have your, your arm like internally rotated and down kind of in that position that your arm is in when it's in a sling. So it's sort of like the most stable position. Right. So it's like, instead of having it up over your head, you have it tucked and internally rotated and then you switch your hands so that you're in this super tight tuck with your shoulders, not really exposed to anything. Are you a Washington? It's to- hard. I don't really run drops that high, man. Like spirit is like kind of the top end for me. I mean, I've run like,
0: we need to get a a Washington.
2: That's it. I'm old and fragile, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We need to get a Washington Tucker on the show. Yeah.
3: I agree though. though, Lewis. I mean, I I think that that's a, I think, I think that's a killer technique, man. I mean, it it allows, you know, the definitely you're not, you know, have a, you don't have a lot of your paddle in front of you. Your arms are in a much safer place. I mean, it's also a matter of, you know, of of, of just, you know, how how much you want to deal with in in free fall. You know, I've always been the reason that I do the Oregon tuck is just because, you know, for me, I, I don't want to be playing around with like hand positions or like figuring out how to throw the paddle. I mean, the most important thing for me is my boat angle, you know, and and I feel like the more things that you're trying to fit into that short period of time. The, the the more that you can like lose focus, I mean, I, I could see I, I mean, I, I could definitely see on something, you know, r- really, you know, really big going for something like that. But, um, yeah, man, I, I think just play around with it It's personal preference. I mean, it just comes down to your, your style and, and what you want to do. But I, I think you're right, Lewis. I think if you're holding on to your paddle, that's probably the safest way to do it.
0: Cool. There's some good nuggets in there. <laughs> sure our viewer be stoked about that <laughs> yeah. you guys
3: follow
2: all that
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally. basically what what i got out of that is just keep crashing until you figure out a way to make it not not so really. <laughs> um, um,
3: that way
2: yeah yeah i've been thinking a lot lately about sort of to me it's like not just your angle but like whether your boats in the process of kind of becoming you know like if the angle is becoming steeper or if you're flattening out to me that almost makes more difference than what the actual angle is like you sort of like want your bow coming down or like right like rather than flattening out. Sure. it's like even if you're steep if your stern's kind of moving faster oh. than your bow you just flatten out right at the last second and like kind of like whiplash it right to your back and it's like if you can just kind of have your bow moving like a little quicker than your
3: stern that's like it's a, a, a good point point and and that that's a good thing to keep in mind and that that'll help people as well just make sure that they don't land flat if you think about it in that regard because a lot of times what happens is you'll see people with you know with, with like decent boat angle off the lip and then their boat will flatten out through free fall and and it'll end up being bad I mean that's how I broke my back I was I was totally sweet until about halfway down and then and then I started flattening out and so if, if you do think about that, just the you know just just the momentum of your boat and trying to you know make sure that your bow is progressively dropping throughout the drop, then I I think that's a great great idea, man. That'll that'll help ensure that 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 you don't boop it. And at the end of the day, man, landing on your head is a million times better than landing flat. So um, yeah, that you know that, that's a good thing to keep in mind.
0: That's a good nugget too for our viewer. Yeah. All right, well, Tyler, are you, do you have a little time to stick around here and go into some other bits of our show? I mean, yeah, dude. I'm not doing anything. I'm just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> hanging
1: out. <with> <laughs> <over to> Zoa. <laughs> yeah, right. Growing your mustache. Just watching your lips bleed. I'm <laughs> stoked, <laughs> That's what I've had all week. <laughs>
0: all right, Lewis, let's, uh, let's throw this one over to you. John and I butchered up the whole congressional um oh, yeah. outdoor recreation thing so can you set us a little straight on uh on on the bill that recently passed congress what it was and and uh what it means and kind of your work on yeah
2: it? um rec act is uh i think it's like recreations economic contributions act like that's the acronym um passed the house and the senate congress did something good which is surprising um that bill was like a big priority of Outdoor Industry Association, who we work really closely with. They're the trade the trade group for uh, you know outdoor businesses. They put on outdoor retail trade show. Uh, super good partners of ours. Um, you know, for a long time OIA has done their own economic study uh, every few years to talk about the size of the outdoor recreation economy, and it's something like six hundred and forty six billion dollars in annual consumer spending employs 6.1, 6.1, million, 6.1 million Americans and they have like state level numbers as well for every state and those numbers get cited all the
1: time by Whitewater's like what 24% of that last time I looked oh easily <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah our viewers, I'm sorry that okay. was well humor <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, so I mean, I think that, you know,
2: having that, be able to make those economic arguments about the importance of outdoor recreation is super important. It's like, I, you know, in a way it feels a little bit crass to kind of like reduce the things that we care about so much and the places that we go to dollars and cents. But there are people who kind of don't operate in our world, people in Congress especially, who that's all they hear, right? And so when you're able to say, you know, they're talking about, you know, increasing logging, increasing oil and gas development on public lands. And to be able to say, look, like, you know, there are a lot of other ways to generate economic contributions from protected public lands. Like these are, you know, protecting these places is important. It's not just taking them out of economic contribution. Like this is the infrastructure for the outdoor recreation economy. Mm -hmm. And so having, you know, instructing, I think it's Bureau of labor statistics. That's going to make these calculations, uh, you know, once the REC Act becomes law, but just making sure that that's sort of thoroughly integrated into our, you know, the way the government tracks the economy is going to be valuable for making sure that our interests get represented in public land decisions, you know, whether it's investing in trail systems or, you know, conserving places. I think that recognizing that outdoor recreation is a real legitimate economic driver is, is important and valuable for that stuff so it's good super good
1: that was so much so better how does better the, than uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, so how does it how's it looking for the transition right now where are we headed what's uh what are the problems looming here for the next the next year or so as things shape up
2: you know it's like i'm gonna try i'm trying to not be so negative about this right like we got to just keep on keeping on but uh you know, I guess we're waiting to see who the new Secretary of the Interior is going to be, and I think that that's going to tell a lot about what the new administration's priorities are for public lands. You know, whether it's somebody from oil and gas industry or whether it's somebody who has, you know, a more holistic view of the value of public lands is going to be is going to be telling. Uh, you know, with regard to public lands, what little Trump has said has been you know, a little bit conflicting, probably unsurprisingly. So uh, it kind of remains to be seen. You know, I think we have to just be super vigilant and, you know, ready to work on areas where there might be some common some common ground and fight super hard for the things that matter. We, uh, you know, as our alliance, we put together kind of a, a document for the transition team on sort of what the priorities are for, for our community and shared that working with, uh, outdoor industry association and conservation Alliance and, uh, people for bikes. So we're kind of sharing that right now. We're kind of keeping that, you know, give those guys some time to sort of digest it before we start pushing that out publicly, but we'll, we'll do that, you know, in the weeks to come. And, uh, there'll be plenty of opportunities for everyone in our community to, you know get active and get loud and share our priorities because i think that that's going to be really important you know those guys i think that they probably don't have a ton of hard and fast opinions honestly and so making sure that they understand that we do
3: is uh is going to be important what are those what are those things that the community can do to to make their voices heard i mean what kind of resources do we have available to Put our weight behind these initiatives and, and sort of you know make you know just just kind of come together as as one collective voice to to help this out Is there are there online resources? are there petitions that we need to be doing? are there organizations we should be donating to? I mean what's what, what's the way forward there for 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 the you know for the viewer?
2: Yeah, no, that's a good question, man. I mean, I think, obviously, I'm super partial to to OA, um, but, you know, American Whitewater is one of our member groups. They do amazing group work. Uh, You know, IMBA, Access Fund, like our whole coalition, all these groups that are like a little bit more sport specific are, uh, you know, just, you know, joining those organizations is important. It's like, it's more than just your $35. It's, giving those organizations the legitimacy to be able to go to Congress, to go to the agencies and say, hey, you know, like we're, we represent a small sport, but the overwhelming majority of the people who participate, you know, pony up to protect these places and to kind of speak on behalf of our community's values and, you know, to help give those organizations the legitimacy they need to do work in addition to the $35, And that also, you know, kind of can be the springboard for them raising money from other sources. And, you know, all of those groups, you know, we're all going to keep our community kind of in the loop on what's going on, you know, whether it's just like email action alerts or Facebook or whatever it might be. And, you know, we're really trying to think about ways to engage the community. And so, you know, it's going to be you know, reaching out to your congressional offices, it's like if you don't know who your congressman is, like, you're, you know, you should. Or, yeah, you should. And it's like those, you know, being consistently in contact with those offices and letting them know what you think about things is is valuable. It's not just showing up and voting every four years. It's when you, you know, get an action alert or whatever it might be from an organization that you work with you know, take five minutes and call your congressman's office. It's like when people first told me this thing about calling Congress offices, it's like, it sounded crazy to me, right? Like the idea that like you call somebody at work and just like tell them what your opinion is about what they're doing and they should like, (laughs) you know, do what you want. It's like, like, I'm sure well gets a lot of that. And I know he really (laughs) appreciates it.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it when customers call and give me their opinion. That's. Yeah. yeah. Like, this guys actually, I mean, they legitimately expect that. It's like
2: you're not like, being up to It's not like some active. Okay, podcast.
1: also, to be fair, I do love it when customers call and give me <laughs> I, I, I love my customers. I'm not. I should have said that.
2: I'm just telling Don with your dry suit and calling you person and telling them, you know, what you care about in public lands. Yeah. So, uh, You know, I think that there's, it's funny to say, but there's definitely some people in Congress who are more important than others because they're on, like, super relevant committees for public land stuff. So, like, you know, Tyler out in Montana, Ryan Zinke, is like, your congressman. He's uh, on the House Natural Resources Committee. And he's someone who has, you know, in contrast to a lot of his Republican colleagues, his shown some inclination to do some good things on public lands issues. And I think, you know, being ready to like reach out to him and saying, Hey, you know, like, good job, like way to, you know, we appreciate that you bucked your party on this and stood up for public lands in Montana or you know, that last vote you took, that was wrong. Like you need to, you know, stay firm and, you know, protect these places that matter to all of us. And so just kind of being engaged, knowing who your representatives are, being ready to, to get involved, you know, and get, we'll get we'll try sure. those get on opportunities kind
0: of what, basis. What's our website?
2: Uh, outdooralliance.org
0: outdooralliance.org. Get on the mailing list and uh, give your representative a call. Now I hate to rush our show along, but I'm getting ready to get in a car and drive to the Grand Canyon as soon as I hit stop here on the record, the the vehicle is officially in my driveway. So let's uh, <laughs> let's go on to our favorite part of the show, rants and raves. I'm going to start us off with a rave. And it just came to me
1: because oh, I have a rave.
0: You all, you never have raves. I have a rave. All right. Well, you can rave as well. But I, have to yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all right. But, but I Tyler,
1: have to actually, rave. I, Tyler may have something to add to this rave as well. I'm not well, sure, but I, I think I, he, I'm going to get my rave
0: out there. I'm right, raving man. about modern medicine because Tyler has a face.
1: So, <laughs> it, yeah, That's I <laughs> right. love it, Luce, You better be thinking of a rant or one of, you, right. one of you. One of you ends too. Well, right, yeah, I yeah. is Taiwan.
3: Taiwan, all right.
1: Taiwan. So I'm going to Taiwan tomorrow morning. Taiwan has the largest collection of uh, thirty or three thousand meter peaks in the world. 200 and over or 240 mountains in Taiwan over 3,000 meters, and they're all within 200 miles of the ocean, right? There
0: you go. And
1: yeah. it's huge untapped wilderness in there. There's snow capped mountains up in there. If you guys, and also if you like biking, take a look at the t- uh, Taiwan uh, KOM coming the mountain. It looks like the Pyrenees. It's amazing, and there is some serious white water in there. And I'm going with my friend Todd Baker, coworker Todd Baker, and we're gonna do a little exploring while we're over there. Nice. Yeah. No one knows. Do you think Taiwan? You're thinking eh, it looks like Delaware. Uh-uh. No, sir. Hey, bring That's some the real pictures.
0: Deal. Bring some pictures or video back to the Hammer Factor. Uh, yeah, but I
1: mentioned, Tyler, have you,
0: have you paddled there before?
1: No. I, been have an to, American have, paddlers I haven't paddled there before, man. Put it on the list, dude. That's awesome. You take a look. Go to, Google's, go to Google Earth and just do a little flyover. You will be shocked at what's going on over there in terms of terrain. So we, man, bring
3: bring back a report for us, dude. Yes. That
1: that
0: that's epic. All right,
1: so and they get I'm, a lot of rant. I'm ranting
0: modern medicine. Weld is ranting Taiwan. Raving. I'm raving Taiwan. We need some yeah. rants, boys. All right, man. I'll, I'll I'll throw out a rant
3: just because I wanted to throw throw a little more weight behind the stuff that Lewis was just saying, and it's just. I mean, I would say, dude, take take action, whatever it is. I mean, if, if you're if you're watching this and you you're not a member of American Whitewater, I mean, I'd go on there, sign up. The other thing is that people don't people don't realize how influential they can be just as individuals and how far they can go, just like why you're like Lewis is saying, like making a phone call. I mean, I wasn't getting results from the CDC. And so, dude, I called the CDC. I ended up getting the head of the parasitic lab testing department on the phone. I mean, like this top dude of to the CDC. I mean, and the guy's like personally telling me about you know about when he's going to be able to do this test, and it really you know made made things go along for this licheniasis thing I got happening. So I would just say, w- whatever it is, you know, if it's calling calling your congressman or or taking action in whatever way it, you you want to, I mean, send it. You you just got to go for it. Get on the phone. Get out there. Make make your voice heard, and it can really have some hugely positive effects on some of these some of these issues that that we're dealing with. So, um, yeah, Lewis, nice, nice work out there, buddy, man. I'm, I'm Thanks, proud man. of you. Dude. So Thanks, man. Tyler Cheers, rants,
0: Tyler rants about the unengaged. All right. So <laughs> right. What, what, what do you got, Lewis?
2: Um, man, I got, this is uh, a rant suggested to me by my buddy and our loyal listener, Neil shot who are, uh, I just had to have shoulder surgery and is at home limping along recovering. And uh, my rant is about shoulders and getting old, man. My shoulders are just in a dire state, just like horrible arthritis. It's like it's it's awful. I, uh, but maybe uh, maybe modern medicine will, will pull through for all of us. So uh, <laughs> optimism remains.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good one, man. I got so many creaks in my shoulders. It's just I don't even know. All right, boys. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Does anybody have anything that they would like to add? Tyler, no, the great, man. I, I appreciate it.
1: You we will it. see everyone uh, right before Christmas. Right, it's going to be a little bit of a breaky poo here. Yeah, we, I'm,
0: uh, I'm going to turn this into a couple, a couple episodes here. But yeah, we'll. Uh, we're, I'm headed to the Grand Canyon. You're going to Taiwan, Louis. You typically aren't around anyway, and uh, <laughs> Tyler, you'll be at tomorrow's.
1: Oh, you're <laughs> getting a pay cut, by the way, Lewis. So, yeah, feel free to withhold my paycheck for this episode.
3: Please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, well, uh, sweet.
0: All right, all all right thanks, Tyler. Tyler. Cheers, bud. Yeah,
3: thanks, guys. See
1: guys. Thanks,
2: Tyler. We'll see you, man.